I usually do the talking at RUF, and um, and part of that is because um, we believe as a ministry that we should send pastors to campus. And I am the Reverend Chris Horn. I don't know if everyone knows that, but um, I yeah. Um, and so usually I I I, I preach and uh, really enjoy that. It's a joy. But we have several people that work um, on our staff at, at RUF, and um, we like to give them opportunities to share God's Word with us as well. And so tonight, Garrett McMillan is going to be opening God's Word for us. Give it up for Garrett. Um, and Garrett, uh, Garrett works for RUF for no money. Um, we pay Derek and Olivia well over $1,000 per month to work for RUF. Um, it, it's literally, I think, like $1,200. Um, but Garrett um, has decided to come to work with us at RUF because he is, um, feels like the Lord is calling him into ministry. And so he's been an, an unbelievable blessing to me, to many of you, to this ministry. Um, he, he is a friend. And I'm grateful for his work um, on our campus. And I know that many of you guys have been really impacted by Garrett. So I just wanted to say that I love you. I'm grateful for you, Garrett, who are blowing me off standing in the back of the room. Um, Garrett has been doing a fantastic job. And he's going to be here with us another year. And um, if you're a person that is like really trying to figure things out spiritually, you're not sure where you are, um, and you just want someone to talk to, ask questions, and chat with, uh, Garrett is a perfect person to do that with. So I definitely encourage you to do that. So we're glad to have Garrett um, preaching for us tonight. I'm going to read the text and pray for my good friend Garrett. He's going to come up. So this is uh, God's word from the gospel according to Mark chapter 11. Uh, Listen, this is the word of the living God. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? Uh, And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had uh, looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God. Let's ask his blessing on it. Father, we're grateful that um, no matter where we're coming from tonight, no matter what our week has been like, what our day has been like, what our semester has been like, no matter what the last few years of our lives have been like, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you speak to us through your word um, because you're kind and because you're gracious. Um, We thank you for Jesus who shows us what you are like um, as he is God who has come to live with us and to die for us. And Lord, we thank you for Garrett, our friend, um, who loves you, who you've called to yourself and who you've given many gifts to bless your people with. And so, Lord, we ask that you would be with him by your spirit, that you would speak through him, and that we would see Jesus. And that by seeing Jesus, we would love you, and our hearts would be satisfied, and we would give you glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Chris said, thanks for coming tonight. Um, it really means a lot to us, but it, um, Jesus has you here for a reason. Um, and uh, that reason this week is me. No, just kidding. Um, LAUGHTER 
No, that reason is to hear his word and his word preached, um, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, like Chris said, my name is Garrett. Um, I'm one of the interns here, and he took kind of my intro away by talking about what I do. Um, but yeah, I'm a volunteer intern. I work part-time in a restaurant and um, spend full-time doing ministry on Apps Campus because I want to and because I want to be with you and be with the kids in this room. Um, and some of you have asked why I don't have a black polo on like Chris always wears. Um, that's because most of you already think I'm goth, and I don't want to, <laughs> and I don't want to perpetuate that anymore because um, I'm not. Um, so I wore a dark red shirt, which is just as goth. Um, all right, um, those of you that know me um, know that I really like music, uh, especially hip hop. And I typically get excited about new music, especially new hip-hop. Um, and I'm the person that wakes up on every Friday morning without fail and checks the new releases tab on Spotify. Um, and I listen to almost all of the new music that gets put out, um, just because I have to. I have to know what's going on in the music world. And last September, I was on the internet, and it surfaced that Donald Glover, known musically as Childish Gambino, was going to release a new album. Um, I was very excited. I texted Charlie. Um, we talked about it. Um, and I did this because his 2013 album, Because of the Internet, um, was nothing short of incredible. And the mixtape, uh, Stone Mountain, and the EP Kawhi just wasn't enough to hold me over. And I needed this new album. Um, but in November of that year, uh, the singles were released, and I was super disappointed in them. Um, and I was so disappointed that when the album Awaken My Love was released in December, I didn't even listen. Um, it wasn't until weeks later that I reluctantly put my headphones in, played the album, and it was, oh, bleh, um, and realized that my, expect that my expectations may have not have been met, but what was to come out of it, the album was far better than I could ever imagined. It was this combination of like 60s and 70s funk and his hip-hop style, and it was so beautiful. Um, and tonight we're looking at Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And, this entrance, and in this entrance, Jesus doesn't meet expectations, um, but it offers something that is far greater than anyone could ever imagine. In this passage, we will see how he shows us who he is as king, but we will also see how we distort who he is for our own gain. And so the passage opens up um, with this story-type introduction, um, and it's like a Star Wars-type opening credits. It like, just floods you. Um, and it's the introduction to the last week of Jesus' life. Um, this, is, this week is typically called Holy Week, and it's kind of weird because this Sunday you'll probably hear the same sermon. Um, but it's where Jesus begins to set up the visible narrative that he is Messiah, or better, he is the Savior of God's people. Um, this, the, verse 1 of Mark 11 gives us a brief geography lesson. It, a brief geog uh, geography lesson of where the events of the week will take place. The four locations mentioned, Jerusalem, Bethany, Bethphage, and the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus, the twelve disciples, and other followers are walking to Jerusalem from Jericho, they would pass by Bethany, ascended up the Mount of Olives, went through Bethphage, 
and then down from the summit into the city of Jerusalem. And I know it sounds like a long journey, um, but it's really less than two miles between Bethany and Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives is really like a 300-foot hill of olives. Um, So it probably wouldn't have taken that long. Um, And as they're about two miles away, Jesus decides that it's time to make his kingdom entrance. His kingly entrance into Jerusalem. But Jesus doesn't mount a war horse and ride it into the city like most of us would think a king would do. He doesn't take his rightful seat on the throne. But in fact, he does the opposite. Jesus instructs two of his disciples to go out and borrow a baby donkey. They go, they get this baby donkey from a nearby village. Um, Jesus tells them where the donkey is, and he tells them exactly what they should say if anyone questions them. Um, And they go to the village, they take the donkey, they inform the people there that the Lord needs the donkey, and that when the Lord is done with it, the donkey will return. Uh, We don't get a story on how the donkey got back, but... (laughs) I think it's promised. Um, (laughs) And then they bring the donkey to Jesus. They put their cloaks on it. And Jesus sits as they enter the city. Now, in my mind, Jesus riding a baby donkey is like King Kendrick Lamar driving a Ford Pinto. (laughs) It's the exact opposite of what he should be doing. But what Jesus is doing here is fulfilling a prophecy of himself from Zechariah 9.9, which depicts him in the way that Chris painted a picture of Jesus for us last week, as humble and gentle. Not a dominant figure asserting his power over people and conquering enemies, but one, one who lowers himself to the bottom of the bottom and presents himself as a lowly servant ready to serve his people. He isn't charging it in the city like one would think a king would. He rode it on a donkey, seeking hearts. The people following Jesus um, were told that it's a group of people, um, and it's most likely the greater disciples, so that would have been the 12, and then like a bunch of people following. We're not told who they are or how many there are, but the assumption is there is a lot. And they're most likely is from, they most likely are from Jericho or Bethany, <laughs> Um, which would have been the places where Jesus was most recently at. Um, And they would have been following him because of the great miracles that he just performed in their hometowns. You see, Jesus recently healed a blind man in Jericho, and Bethany is the home of his good friend Lazarus, someone who he just raised from the dead. They recognized that the Messiah's entrance as king, they recognized that this was the Messiah's entrance as king, and they followed him, And as they followed him in joy and in happiness, they spread their cloaks and branches from the fields onto the road, and they ran ahead and followed behind, and they recited Psalm 118, and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Psalm 118 would have been traditionally shouted or proclaimed or sung when kings were being anointed in Israel. Um, And if you take the key word in that, which is Hosanna, it literally translates to save us, save us, save us. It would have been like a cry for help. Um, But here it's used to reference the Messiah. And what it essentially means is, yay, salvation. Um, Salvation is here. Salvation is in front of us. And it was because they recognized that Jesus was their Savior. 
Um, and I, in my head, I can't, get up, I can't get by this. I like to imagine it as some sort of weird relay race where like the people were like laying their shirts down on the ground and as the donkey ran over it, they'd like pick them up and run to the front of the line <laughs> and wait. Um, and they would do it and they did it for two miles which sounds like the worst relay race. <laughs> um, and they did this all the way to, into the temple, is what my assumption is. Um, and those people were seemingly unaffected by Jesus' lowly appearance, unaffected by the fact that he was on a donkey, not on a war horse. And this was because they'd already seen Jesus for who he was, and they sought to bring glory and honor to him. But something changed when they arrived in Jerusalem. Jesus' wonderful and exciting entrance ends in a very depressing way. As it says, Jesus doesn't sit on the throne and rejoice with his people that he is king. Jesus leaves the throne with his 12 disciples to go sleep in another town because it says it was dark. But the question is, is why? Why would Jesus do this? This, inf- this entrance is titled the triumphant entry or the triumphal entry. And it's called that, but it doesn't feel like it is triumphal. And I think it's called that, and, and I think the reason he left was because that when Jesus entered the city, he would have Im- immediately entered from the temple side or the temple gate. And he would have been in the courts. And this, of all places, would have, should have been the one place where Hosanna was screamed, where Hosanna was shouted. But he arrives and the shouts of praise come to an end and no one cares that he's there and no one cares or notices who he truly is because in that moment he wasn't meeting their expectations of him and he wasn't meeting their immediate needs. In the mind of an ancient Israelite, the Messiah was going to be a conquering king. They thought he was going to be this political power figure that was going to deliver them from oppressive Roman rule. And he was going to secure their future and personal well-being. And these were their immediate needs. And while these aren't necessarily bad things to want, the way that people wanted them, the way that people wanted this liberation and security was the real problem. They expected their salvation to come in the form of having their needs met. But more importantly, they wanted their needs met in the way that they saw fit, in a way that pleases them. And this lowly, dirty, donkey-riding servant of a king was not what the people of Israel wanted. And it's also not the type of king that you and I want either. By forcing the Savior of the world to fit their expectation of him, what they were doing was creating Jesus in their own image. And it sounds really bad, but we do this very same thing when it comes down to our immediate needs too. It's shown to us in our politics and also how we act with Jesus and how we act with others. And it's all because we too want affirmation. We want the same affirmation that the people of ancient Israel wanted. In speaking about politics for a moment, in this room there are people on the right and the left sides. There are people on both sides. And a lot of us, on either side, use our politics to define how we see Jesus operating in the world. Whether your political view is conservative or liberal, red or blue, right or left-leaning, we must not allow these to define how we see Jesus. 
an author, pastor, and friend of App State RUF named Scott Sauls, who came last semester and preached with us, or preached to us, sorry, um, at large group, had this to say about politics and Jesus and his book, Jesus Outside the Lines. He says, Our loyalty to Jesus and his kingdom must always exceed our loyalty to an earthly agenda, whether political or otherwise. And if, it is not our, and if this is not our experience, then we very well may be rendering to Caesar what belongs to God. And what he is saying here is that if Christ doesn't define our views of how the world operates, then we have made something else. We are rendering something to Caesar. And what essentially that means is that we are giving glory to something else. We are giving what is God's to someone else. And we are serving whatever that is. We have successfully forced Jesus to fit our expectation of him when we create him in the image of something else. And a lot of us don't care about politics, and I recognize that. But what a lot of us are rendering to Caesar is totally different. Some of us have a pimp-my-ride view of Jesus where he is customizable to fit our view of things. And in this distorted episode of MTV's Pimp My Ride, uh, we are exhibit, or if you're from the UK, we're Tim Westwood. um, We are exhibit, and Jesus is the car. As lowly, as undesirable as he may be, he is simply available for us to place TVs in the dash and a half pipe in the trunk. So that however we may feel in that moment is affirmed. So that whatever our immediate need may be will be met. And it will be met precisely how we see fit. What it boils down to is us, the created being, playing the creator by making Jesus in our own image. Based on our expectations and wants. Instead of actually following him on the road between Bethany and Jerusalem and trusting who he is and who he shows us he is. And this may be a reach, but to me, it sounds like this. In the first Shrek movie, (laughs) Princess Fiona longs after the day that her Prince Charming would come. She sits in a tower under a curse by a fairy godmother and waits. Her her expectation of him is grand because he is the one that would not only defeat the dragon and rescue her from captivity, but the one that would deliver true love's first kiss. The kiss that would break the spell, lift the curse, and restore her to her true self. Her immediate needs are not met when what she gets is not a knight in shining armor. It's in fact a dirty, nasty, ugly ogre named Shrek and ironically a donkey (laughs) Shrek didn't meet her expectations of the freeing prince and it's not until she learns who Shrek is underneath all of his layers (laughs) that she begins to fall in love with him and what he does is he, show hers, he shows her her true self. When he delivers that kiss, 
she turns into an ogre. <laughs> Her true self. <laughs> and this is the same way with us. It's the same way between us and Jesus. It's not actually until we allow him to show us who he is that we actually see him as our savior. And then once we see him as that, we see who we really are. We see what's really going on inside. We see what it's like when we're dirty, nasty, and ugly, and undesirable. And the entry that Jesus makes into the holy city of Jerusalem paints the picture that he's not coming to be served, but coming to serve. His assertion of the throne didn't happen after a two-mile donkey ride into Jerusalem. It happened when the humiliation that he felt on the back of that dirty donkey and the humiliation that he felt in the temple courts of Jerusalem were heightened even more on the cross. As John 19, verse 19 tells us, with the inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, on it. That's what was read on the cross. That's what, when Jesus was up, That's what people would have saw and read and they would have mocked and laughed. And that's hard. And the death of Christ was special because he came to us and he lived like us. But he lived a life that we couldn't live. He lived one without sin. So that when the sacrificial death happened, he could save us. And earlier this week, I was talking with Derek and who's our other male intern who is way better at this job than me. And um, we were talking about what death means and how we see death. Um, And it was really interesting because he said that the way that we view death and the way that kind of the world we operate in sees death is they see it as the end. And that makes it really hard for us to see Jesus because when we think of his death, we just think of you know, someone dying. And it had me thinking about myself and what I do and how I view it. And um, many of you know this, but I have a bunch of tattoos. And on my right calf, I have a Grim Reaper tattoo. Um, And I got that many years ago, but I got it when I was in a point where, to me, death meant literally nothing. It was invited. It was the end. It was immediate. It was just it was just going to happen, and it was just going to end everything. Um, but with Jesus, it's not that way. When his, sacrifice, when his sacrificial death happened, he saved us. And while that death was brought on to him with much humiliation, through that death he brought many sons and daughters to glory. And he now sits elevated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father, not only as the king of the universe, but as the king and savior of every individual that calls on his holy name with faith. Will you please pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much that you are the king of not only the whole universe, but of our individual lives. And that in your kingship you guide us, protect us, and fight for us against the powers and pains and the injustices of the world. Thank you that your love covers us, even when our grasp of you is nothing but whole, or is not whole. Please give us grace to grow towards your whole image, and show us who you are in your word. We pray all this in your holy name.
Thank you.